Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Louise Greenwood, Director of Education for Wessex LMCs, and I'm here this afternoon chatting to Helene Irvin. Hi, Helene. Hello, everyone. My name's Helene, and I'm the Nurse Advisor at Wessex LMCs. So we're going to have a little chat this afternoon about CQC, what are they up to, what to practice need to know, and so we're going to do a short podcast, aren't we, um, really on the basis of your excellent presentation you gave at the Practice Manager webinar not that long ago. Um, so just following up what's new um, and to just highlight a few bits around CQC for um, for this month. So shall we just crack on to say really what is the most recent update on CQC and um, yeah, what are the red flags that we want to draw practice's attention to? So um, in June this year, the CQC announced they were making some changes to the monitoring process. Um, and what they wanted to do is to assure the public that the care they're receiving is safe, obviously with the emphasis on quality and the minimization of risk. Um, this new approach really is built on learning that the CQC have had through their traditional traditional monitoring approach and also the emergency framework. And what they're going to do is they're con going to continue to monitor services in three main areas. So obviously about risk um, and developing a more targeted approach, uh, bringing information together in one place for the inspection teams. Um, and what they're hoping is this will help to support the inspectors with their decision making. Um, and also looking towards the future, really, um, to ensure that the information gathering and everything is in place to have a more standardised and quality-based approach to monitoring. I get some of the key changes for practices are that the CQC will be undertaking monthly monitoring of practice data and from that create a risk banding. Um, it's the inspectors themselves who will be making monthly checks of practices with their own, within their own portfolios to ensure the risk bandings are accurate because obviously they will have a lot of experience and understanding um, of the practices within their portfolios. But the practice ratings will not change as a result of this uh, monthly monitoring. And the information that they're going to be having a look at monthly, is that something that practices have to submit or will they somehow sort of extract it? No, um, we want to reassure people we have tests check this out with the CQC, practices will not be asked to submit um, monthly data. Um, if the CQC identify any risk as part of the process, they, they may contact practices to seek assurance, uh, and they've always done this historically. Um, and the information that they'll be monitoring in the process will include things like um, ratings and breaches, time since the last CQC inspection, any registration information, for example, maybe possibly a change in the registered manager. Um, and also information the CQC may have received from other parties. That would include things like patient experiences, whistleblowing, um, any safeguarding alerts, um, and also information received from stakeholders. So it, that could be CCGs or LMCs or Healthwatch, et cetera. Um, and also published data. So that would be COF, patient experiences, um, disease management profiling, prescribing safety, and any issues around patients' um, access, et cetera. Where there's no indication that there is a need to reassess ratings due to any signs of uh, risk, then the CQC will publish a statement on the practices profile page on their website um, to inform the public and anybody who use the services that the review has been undertaken, there is no concern at this time. As I said, the practice rating will not change. Practices will be contacted by email prior to this being made public on the web page. 
If the CQC have any concerns, they may need to reassess a rating or the quality of care. They may want to gather more evidence. Um, or if there was evidence of a risk of poor quality or safety, they may undertake an immediate on-site inspection, and, and this could happen at any time. Um, we have been told that the inspectors will be reviewing information about practices using a software app that utilizes an algorithm to create a risk pending. Um, so in the past, for example, uh, when the CQCs did their transitional approach to monitoring, they used over 100 data items to give a calibrated view across the, the metrics, including COF, GP patient survey, prescribing, staffing, child immunizations data, et cetera. Um, so we are assuming this is the sort of thing that they will use. And Do you think we're going to find out a little bit more about what they're going to use, or are we just having just having to sort of be rest assured we're just, just making those um, sort of assumptions? No, I think we will. I mean, if you have a look at the CQC's website, they're updating this all the time. So, for example, Mythbusters, you know, which is very commonly used, um, that's been um, improved and updated. And there's a very good section there on how they access records remotely, for example, which practices may want to have a look at because it's quite it's quite helpful and informative. And as an LMC, we are in regular contact with the CQC, who have been very helpful, actually, in answering our questions and any questions we've posed to them from practices. So I think if there are any changes, then we will be able to um, in, inform uh, the practices. And we have quite a comprehensive section on our website around CQC, so we will put any relevant information on there. Okay, that's helpful. It's hard, isn't it? Because practices are so overwhelmed at the moment. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of really helpful information, but you have to have the headspace and remember to just go in and find it. And it's just the sort of the, actually the researching and finding the time to really look for that, that sort of information that practices and practice managers are just struggling to find time with at the moment. And, and I hope CQC will be understanding in that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we have raised that with the CQC. You know, the practices are under a lot of pressure at the moment and they are aware of that. And they, they say they do take that into consideration. Um, and we've also um, spoken to the BMA um, and the RCGP, and I believe that they have um, contacted the CQC and also raised um, similar concerns. So that's, that's good to know. It's something that um, I don't know whether CQC really would ever get involved in this, but I mean, do they realise about the PCSE and the muddle there is with payments and how much time that's taking up with practice trying to sort it out? Is that something that CQC would ever get involved in? I'm not sure they would. No, probably not. That question, but maybe it's something we can raise when we meet with them as an LMC. I think um, it would be helpful because it's one of the things that's suddenly taking up an awful lot of practice manager time. And yeah. we've got some practice managers in our area, some practices who are £51,000 down wow. last month. So, you know, obviously you can't ignore that kind of stuff and that can take a lot of time to get it right. So, yes, any pressure we can bring to bear, I think it would be really helpful. And I would think CQC would be pleased to be aware of it to be honest because um, it's just one more piece of the jigsaw isn't it really um, just going back Helen you mentioned whistleblowing and that's something that I think people do worry about um, would the practice be aware that there has been a whistleblowing situation on the care or on their practice or is the first they'd ever hear about it is when CQC knock on the door and say there's been an issue so whistleblowing as I'm sure people are aware is used to describe making a disclosure in public interest. So it could be a situation where a worker has raised concerns or something they've witnessed in the workplace. And this can prompt the CQC to carry out an inspection. Uh, 
Apparently, in 2020, during the COVID crisis, 50% of CQC's physical inspections were informed by whistleblowers, which I think demonstrate the CQC is taking whistleblowing disclosures very seriously. So it's probably a good time for practices to reflect on issues relating to whistleblowing in their own organisations, you know, making sure that um, they have a whistleblowing policy in place and staff are aware of it. It is, of course, better if a member of staff is concerned they raise it within their organisation. Um, and to do this, obviously, we all need to adopt an open, no-blame culture. Um, what happens if uh, whistleblowing is raised? Then the CQC compliance offer will make the decision as to what happens next. Um, and there are several ways they may want to respond to this disclosure, depending on what they've been told and how serious the matter is. They will always ask if the person contacting them has tried to raise the concern with the employer or the practice. Um, but if not, they will decide if the concern is in the scope of the CQC regularity duties and they're the right organisation to investigate the concern, or if another organisation is best placed to deal with the concern instead. For example, it, it could be the, the GMC if it was a, about fitness to practice for a doctor. The CQC will log the concern and also check whether it adds to existing concerns about the service or whether if there's a new concern, obviously, that would start to raise red flags, really. So, um, Pauline, can you give me some examples of what sort of things are being whistleblown by practice staff to CQC? What's, what sort of things are we talking about? It could be a safety issue. It could be that um, they don't think that a colleague... Uh, manage the situation terribly well or compromise the safety of the patients. You know, maybe patients aren't being followed up for regular assessments or um, it could be around a prescribing query. Uh, it could be around infection control um, or it could be, you know, not maybe not treating the staff or even patients with respect and dignity. And is it, a, is it a... Confidentiality. Okay, sorry. Is it a group of staff that are... Is it, does it look like it's a particular group of staff that seem to have that seem to be finding out a lot of issues that they feel need to be whistleblown? Is is there any pattern that CQC have spotted? I can't answer that question because I okay. don't have parties that information. Um, okay. But it can be a variety of things. Really. I think this is where the CQC then have to decide. I guess is this a potential concern? Does it fall within their domain or somebody else? Because if it's safeguarding, then it may be go to the safeguarding team as opposed to the CQC investigating that particular thing. So I think they make an assessment on the concern, who's raised it, and is it appropriate for them to deal with it or another organisation. Okay, that's helpful. And I, also you talked about risk and Ooh. risk and risk assessments are always huge and it's something that practices worry about. What sort of thing are CQC looking for when in, in the area of risk? Um. So what they're looking at, they're looking at any potential risk, uh, the potential or actual harm is caused to the patient and what should have been done or in place. So, for example, they're, they're looking very carefully or they have been looking very carefully when they were doing remote assessments around prescribing data. Um, and it's, for example, ensuring that staff are using national and local guidelines and these are being followed. So that would be, you know, BNF, NICE guidelines, specialist pharmacy services and things like that. And that's certainly what they picked up when they've been accessing um, medical records during, in, during inspections. Um, so if we look at prescribing in particular, what they're looking at, they're looking at patients, for example, on high-risk medication and DMARDs. And they'll be looking to review how the practice monitors patients, how they're followed up and referred, 
if necessary, blood tests and investigations have been undertaken and importantly documented and managed. Um, and if, if you have a non-medical prescriber, what governance structure and clinical supervision is in place and how do you ensure competency and capability? Um, also, safety alerts. Um, you know, how does the practice and clinicians respond to the alerts? Do they have a log of these that are in place? How is it de- disseminated to, um, to other members of staff? Um, and can you provide any examples of a changing practice as a result of this? Or even something like a misdiagnosis. So, for example, diabetes or cancer, you know, how is the diagnosis managed or missed? Uh, what processes should have been in place? What was the level of risk and outcome? And again, what changes have been made as a result and ongoing monitoring place to mitigate any future in future risks? And this would include as well things like significant events. More importantly, you know, how the learning was shared, which I think we all we all very familiar with really mm. i think it's um it, it's just so difficult isn't it because a lot of the things you've mentioned so supervision and some of the communication and we none of us would say that's the wrong thing to do we would all say we would want that to be in place for us as patients and also to see if in the practices but i mean covid has brought so many challenges so are the cqc inspection team taking making allowances for COVID or are they saying, well, we understand it might be COVID. You might want to do it this way. Do they ever suggest the way to do it or do they just highlight an issue, think it's a safety issue, they ignore the COVID situation and just want it sorting? Um, you, I can't quote this from the CQC, but I have heard that COVID is not viewed as an excuse for not addressing issues relating to patient safety of patients um, and any reduction in the quality of care provided. I mean, we all know that general practice is being under enormous pressure. Every member of staff, not just clinicians, you know, the admin and, and team as well, and reception team, um, during the COVID crisis. And they have tried really, really hard. And most of them are working, still providing a, a quality service and maintaining high standards of care. I think nobody can ignore, including the CQC, the pressure the general practice is under. I think it's being able to, but I think there are certain aspects regarding safety. I think that we really need, do need to take seriously and maybe need to make, to make a priority. And I think if you were to ask me, you know, where would we focus our energies at the moment, then I would probably think that we need to look at safe and well-led. Okay, and that comes up well-led and not being well-led comes up all the time, doesn't it? Um, so I think we've gone through quite a bit of safety, but what exactly is well-led and what does it look like on a really practical sense? Well, there certainly seems to be a correlation between those practice rates that is outstanding, having good leadership, and poor leadership in those that are rated as inadequate. I think leadership is the ability to recognise a problem, isn't it? And the ability to change. Um, it's having, you know, good management and governance structures in place with very clear lines of accountability and responsibility. Um, again, using national guidelines, as we said, because that's about providing a safe quality care service to the, to the service users. And I think part of it as well is being able to demonstrate that there's genuine engagement with staff um, because there has been a positive correlation between those practices where you've had positive staff feedback and positive CQC ratings. It's also obviously ensuring that there's the right number of staff with the right skill mix um, to provide the care and making sure they're competent and capable. And I think as I mentioned before, really, you know, if we want to have an, uh, people to raise concerns, you know, and to be engaged, then you need to have um, 
you need to have an open culture, a transparent culture, so staff feel able to raise concern without the fear of retribution. Um, and that's about having respect for our colleagues, really. Um, and also sharing from incidents and errors so it doesn't happen again. I, th I think that's really, really important. Um, and we talked about regular supervision. I, I think that's essential, really. And I, there, are, there are different types, obviously, that you can look at supervision in a different way. And then, of course, it comes back to communication between the staff, but also good communication with the, with the patients and ensuring the patients are engaged. Um, and, you know, treating everybody within the practice, both our colleagues and staff, with, you know, compassion, dignity, um, kindness and respect, really. I think all of those contribute to a, a well-led practice. Um, and that sort of culture will help in both the recruitment and the retention of staff. That's interesting. So it's, a, it's support at all levels, isn't it? Support with yeah. communication, support with decision making, um, personal support, um, and um, yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's all those sort of things. But it, it's it's hard, isn't it? We all know that culture is one of the hardest things to change. Mm -hmm. um, and um, but I suppose if something has been identified as needing help with transparency and support, then CQC coming in and spotting it might be. Um, the sort of lever some practices need to make a change. And one of the questions they often ask is, do you know what the values and beliefs of your organisation are? And sometimes I think we, we can all assume that everybody does, but sometimes that needs to be revisited. And we all know that, you know, when we're under stress and pressure, often the first thing to break down is communication. Yeah, but one of the things is, you know what the values say, because you know you've got a little strap line, but yeah. actually, in reality, is that what happens on the ground? And sometimes yeah. those two are different, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, so how can we help CQC? I think you've written um, a really helpful document, haven't you? Sort of, sort of before they come, a pre-inspection document. Yeah, what we try to do really, we've had this, it's been on our website a while, but we've sort of updated in response really to this, um, the new inspection process. So um, we now have this pre-CQC inspection document. And what we try to do is capture all the relevant information with links to enable practices in preparing for an inspection. Because as you rightly say, you know, there's an awful lot of information out there. Time is very precious. So what we try to do is sort of enable and facilitate them as much as we can. It's quite a lengthy document, but if you've you don't have to read the whole thing. So if you find a topic in the in index that something you specifically want to look at, could be indemnity, for example, you just click on that and it'll take you to the relevant page in the document. And, and hopefully in doing it, we're taking some way some of the, the stresses really. We've got examples of searches on there, and this what can it, what this can entail. And importantly, you know, the whole the CQC inspection, it's not just the PM's responsibility. I want to emphasize that because often it will fall down on the PM. It's a team effort. Every part of the CQC inspection is somebody's responsibility. And, and we have a list of sort of typical questions, for example, um, in the document that um, you could hand out to staff and say, have a read through these, we'll come back in a week's time and we'll share, you know maybe what the answer should be and if you don't know then we'll be able to update you so i think that's really important i think the other thing is don't underestimate how how much time it takes um so people need to be given time as well and support for example to review any policies and procedures or undertake an infection control audit for example um and also the other thing is one of the other you know make sure everybody's up to date with the mandatory training um that they use national local guidelines and also um where some practices have fallen down is ensuring that 
all staff have had the relevant um, vaccinations and immunizations, for example. And we come back to safeguarding, you know, please ensure that everybody has done the right level of um, safeguarding training. And now we're coming up to the flu and COVID season, also that they're up to date with their BLS. So I think we're coming up for a busy time. I think there are certain things, I know everybody wants headspace, but maybe there's a, this, this is the opportunity before we're into the autumn that you sort of just review some of your policies and procedures and making sure they're all up to date. Okay. And if you receive the call and you just, your head is in a spin, um, you're around, aren't you, Hilly? So we can oh, ring yeah. you <laughs> and we can just say, I've got CQC coming in two weeks time. I've got a week off. I'm, you know, I'm struggling with whatever it might be. And um, seriously, you are at the end of the phone or an email, aren't you? And the LMC are here for people to say, to, just to help you think it through. Because as you say, it is often headspace. Um, and that's the thing that we're finding people are struggling with more than anything at the moment, isn't it? Actually having the um, capacity um it's not the capability, it is the capacity to think something through and to work out where the priorities should be. But it sounds like the three things we're going to leave with this, um, Helene. So the first thing is, if you've got CQC coming soon, what should you do? It sounds like, I like the idea of the questions at the end of the document, give those out to staff, let them read that through. So that's good and that's sharing the load, isn't it? Um, and I think you've talked about communication, so it's sort of concentrate on the communication, don't really know what's going on, that sort of thing. Is there one more thing you would say to people just just focus on this what would it be i think you know draw in draw in help and support where you can we are absolutely there to support them we have this document but please pick up the phone or email us and we we can normally respond quite quickly and um, i think also don't forget you know there's the ccg there's the quality team at the ccg that can give you support as well particularly about things like infection control and medicines management so yeah. i would call on their expertise i think that's really important i think also on a positive note Preparing for a secrecy inspection encourages practices to reflect on what they're doing well mm. and what they need to share with the CCG. You know, I think people practice often underestimate how innovative and good they are. They just assume that everybody else is doing it, and that's not necessarily the case. So, yeah. you know, share that. I think also emphasize, you know, collaborative working with other agencies and how you're doing that, how you're engaging with service users. That's really, really important. Yeah. Um, and there are examples, you know, across Wessex of some innovative projects and new ways. So, so talk to other practices, you know, talk to other colleagues um, within practices and, and seeing what they're doing, gain from their experience as you can see inspection, what have they learned from it? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Helene. That has been very, very helpful. And as you said, we've updated our CQC pages on the website. Um, we've got the document there. We'll put this podcast with it. And um, you're not alone, everybody out there who's listening with CQC. Everybody finds it stressful. Um, even if you've got the most outstanding, brilliant um, people around you and practice, everybody finds it stressful. Um, and it's something to do, I think. And, and in a sense, it's it's good and it's admirable because people want to do well and they want to do well and want to be seen to do well by CQC. And it's only because you care that you get stressed. So it's kind of a good thing, isn't it, Henny? We can spin that one, I think. <laughs> um, but I, I think, as, as I say, you're not alone. You're not isolated in this. We can help you. Um, and thank you for your time, Pauline. It's been absolutely fantastic listening to you again. And we'll be back for more. And we will certainly let you know if we find out any more information um, about CQC and how it might be able to help you. So thank you so much, Helene. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.